Amen. Let's pray. Uh, dear God, I thank you so much for this great day. Uh, God, just this uh, awesome opportunity to uh, just open your word, God, and just see, uh, see what it has to say, God. It's such a privilege to just be able to uh, hear your voice, God, to, uh, to, to read your words, God. And, you know, no, no, none of this is anything we deserve in the slightest, God, even just to know your truth, much less live it out, God. And I just pray for humble hearts and soft hearts, uh, God, as we dive in uh, to, to your word. Uh, I pray for strength, God. Uh, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and uh, open up to Philippians. We'll continue our journey through this letter. Uh, Philippians 3. Come on, brother. Amen. So th- this is kind of the, the, the second uh, kind of didactic or, or teaching rhetorical section of Philippians. Uh, we're kind of in the middle here, uh, but he starts and ends this particular passage with a warning. Uh, and he kind of bookends it on, on two ends in this way. And he, he at first he warns against people, uh, you know, th- these Judaizers, you know, people who are, are coming into the church in Philippi. And they're basically saying, hey, like you, you have to follow the Jewish traditions in order to be a good Christian. You have to do this, this, and this. You have to get circumcised. Uh, you know, you have to uh, basically earn your salvation through legalistic righteousness. Right. Uh, and then he ends the passage uh, on, on a similar note, warning against uh, another kind of people, you know, people who call themselves Christians, but uh, who really are just going after material comfort. Uh, who, you know, it, it, Paul says, you know, their God is their stomach. Their destiny is destruction. And he, he starts out this way, and it, it's actually these two very relevant struggles that we as humans have. Right. Uh, you know, on one side of the coin, you have uh, this idea of I'm, I'm just going to earn my salvation. I will earn the love of God. I will, I will do things to kind of appease my guilt. And on the other side of that, it's like I'm going to do nothing because either uh, God will love me either way or I don't actually trust that love. I don't trust that God is going to provide for me. And so I am going to have to go and provide uh, for myself my material comfort, you know, the desires of my flesh. And there, there's a reason that Paul uh, does this. This is not a struggle that stayed in the first century. This is a struggle that follows us even now. This is something that, uh, that plagues humanity. And I know even for myself uh, today, this is still a struggle. Even, even for myself, I see so clearly uh, in my life, you know, this, this desire to feel at ease in the presence of God based on what I've done. And kind of saying to myself, like, uh, look, like I had, I had a quiet time today. You know, I, I, I shared my faith today or I had a Bible study that went well or I had a D time that went well. And therefore, I feel good about today. I feel good in the presence of God because of these things that I've done and these spiritual points that I've racked up. And I think some days the, the opposite is true. Some days, uh, you know, I can wake up and, and, and fall into these very kind of anxious and almost depressive thoughts uh, and not, not trust that if I do what the Bible says, not trust that if, uh, if I do what God wants me to do, that I'll be, I'll be happy and be provided for. That I'll be filled up. And just uh, uh, in those days, I, I'm, I'm tempted to just give in to fear of, man, I've got to provide for myself. If I, if I do these things, I'm going to be overextended. If I do these things, I'm going to burn out. God is not going to be enough for me. And, you know, sometimes I can just be paralyzed, you know, swaying between these two things. And I know there are some people here, you know, I'm, I'm sure we've been tempted in this way throughout the week. Uh, and, and Paul knows that these two things are going to knock people off their feet. 
And so he starts and ends with this warning. And again, this is like, this is an age old struggle. This is the struggle for the heart of man uh, in the presence of God and how to deal with this love. And Paul's like, man, like you be careful about this. And in uh, chapter four, verse one, he ends the passage and he says, therefore, my brothers, you who I love and long for my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. You know, he points back, he says, I'm giving you the solution of how to stand firm, of how to avoid these things, of how to solve this age old problem. The question is, what is this solution? And we'll start out here uh, in verse 2 of chapter 3. Tell my lesson today is uh, forget that. Philippians uh, nice. 4.1. We'll just camp there for a second. Amen. Chapter 3, verse 2. Paul says, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised in the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Whatever is to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already obtained. And we talked about this first bit last week. uh, You know how how Paul Paul was very much in this first mindset uh, before he was converted. And he was like, "I, I was living the life of confidence in the flesh. Everything I was doing, I was, I, I was there. All right, if anyone had punched their ticket to heaven because of like their own personal righteousness, like it was me. Uh, like spent his whole life studying the Torah, spent his whole life just memorizing uh, the words of the Bible. Uh, and he was like, in terms of legalistic uh, righteousness, I was faultless. But then he says, you know, I, all, all this stuff I was earning for myself, all this stuff I was building up for myself, I threw it away in a heartbeat. I threw it away. Why? Because of the surpa- surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. And Paul, Paul rejected that, that worldliness because of that surpassing greatness. And, you know, we talked about this last week and just how, how amazing it is to know Christ, how, how amazing it is to, to realize that love and to see that truth 
in our, our life. And, you know, Drew talked about uh, the, the power of being in absolute awe of Christ's love. You know, how this should, should light us up like lightning rods. You know, there's this crazy power in knowing Christ. And I think, you know, it's, we can get on board with that idea. Uh, it, it's a very lofty idea and it's a very head knowledge idea where it's like, yes, like the love of Christ, of course, that's awesome. And in, in theory, we say, yes, what an excellent idea. Here is our solution. But then Paul goes on and he starts talking about actually more troubling things than that. And he says, you know what else I want to know? In verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. I want to somehow become like him in his death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. And then Paul, you know, the person who has done more than possibly anybody since Christ in furthering the gospel says, I haven't even attained all of this. I'm not even there. I'm pressing on. I'm straining forward. I'm going for it. But I haven't even gotten there. I haven't even shared fully in the fellowship of Christ's suffering. I haven't even attained to the resurrection of the dead. And he, he uses all this language that really stresses how single-minded he is about this. Uh, you know, in the um, Christian Standard Bible, uh, there's this word that's used over and over, my goal. In verse th- uh, uh, 10 of chapter 3, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect in verse 14. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. And Paul, Paul's pursuing as his goal to know Christ, to attain the resurrection, to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of him, you know, to know Christ's suffering. And he's like, it's of such surpassing greatness. I'm willing to be so single-minded about it. I'm willing to give up everything for it. I'm willing to know the suffering of Christ because it is surpassing greatness. You know, and it's almost as if he's, he's, he's taking so seriously this idea that Christ puts out that he who loses his life will save it. Paul's like, I'm doing everything I can to lose my life as, as of my single Minded goal. And what's more, in verse 15, he says, All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And I'm going to be real, uh, this is intimidating. (laughs) This is a little bit scary. This is a little bit nerve wracking. And for a few reasons, I think one is Paul, you know, Paul who planted like almost every church west of Jerusalem, uh, who, who spent his whole life walking around in bare feet and just like getting stoned and like getting back up and walking back into cities and being like, you didn't kill me. Nice try. You missed. Why don't we go around two? This is Paul. And he's like, I haven't even lost everything for the gospel. I haven't even gained the resurrection through losing my life. And it's like, ah, that's Paul. And he hasn't done it. Like how in the world am I supposed to do this? All who are mature should take such a view of the, these things. Like forget that. How am I supposed to do that? What in the world? And it, it's crazy because it, it's this high, even if it wasn't Paul that was saying this and hadn't already done it, it's intimidating just by the words that he uses. He's, it's this single-minded focus of like day in and day out. He's like, I am losing everything for Christ. Knowing him is of such surpassing greatness that I, I'm willing to do everything. You know, he's, he's talking about, you know, for us doing things like, you know, giving up that job because it conflicts with being with the body, you know, taking a pay cut because it means that you can go to church because it means you can be at midweek. He's talking about things like sharing at school, 
know, having your social life suffer for it, you know, having, having your standing hurt among your friends and coworkers because of how you stand up for righteousness mm. and, and yeah. preach the gospel okay. and make it known that you are about Christ in all ways. You know, he's talking about, you know, like getting up super early for a quiet time, suffering without sleep, uh, to, to, to wrestle with the character and the love of God, to set our hearts right before him in the morning. You know, he's talking about being radical, about confessing your sin, you know, diving into your heart, dealing with your emotions and hard things in life that you'd rather numb so you can capture every thought and bend it to the will of Christ. And he's talking about doing this all with a singular focus, doing it at all costs, past the point of comfort. And again, I think that's intimidating. And I think I, I read this in some days... I can think about things like this, and I'm like, I honestly can't do this. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that sort of single-minded focus day in and day out is not something I can sustain. And some days I'm like, sure, like today I can do this, but tomorrow, who knows? <laughs> uh, you know, who knows how I'm going to be feeling tomorrow? Who knows what's going to be going on in my life tomorrow? Uh, there's going to be other things on my mind. You know, and, and because... This is what Paul says that happens because of him being in such great awe of the love of Christ. Honestly, sometimes I can even be intimidated to know that love. Sometimes I can be scared to have a quiet time in the morning because I'm like, I know that I'm going to be called to come out of my comfort zone. I'm going to be called because the love of Christ is so radical. It's going to call me to do something radical. And it's like, I don't, I don't know if I actually want to open myself up to that and then to back down to it again. You know, and I think because I, I can be really scared of those implications, you know, what it'll mean to share my faith that much and to stand out that much. And, and what if I burn out and what if God won't actually take care of me if I live out in the edge and give things up and make big life changes? And I can just be consumed with that. And it keeps me from really taking some, something like this and running with it and being faithful about it. And I think the thing is, is that I didn't used to think this way. And I think back when I, was, when I first became a disciple, uh, I remember just how excited I was about things like this. Uh, you know, just being really excited to live out on the edge and to go, go into battle for God and for, you know, to stand up for Christ, to make a stand for righteousness uh, and to show people the truth and be, be radical about repentance and idolatry in my life. And I remember one of the reasons I actually became a disciple, I was like, this is so amazing to go out and just be this, like, this warrior for Christ. And just do whatever and have my life have a purpose and a sense of duty uh, that I, I, I can go after living and standing out and fighting this fight for the love of Christ. And the question is, what happened? Uh, and not that every day is, you know, falling, falling short of this, but I think it, 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 it's this, this fear that I think we can have yeah. in our minds when we're faced with something like this. And I, I think the difference between then and now is that I've seen failure since then. You know, I've seen sin since then. You know, I've seen moments in my life where my strength and my faith have come up short. Uh, you know, where I've failed in my purity or I, I gave in to fear or I've, I've felt burnout or, or worn out by the call of discipleship or I've fallen back into idolatry of, you know, what people think or of school or my own comfort. You know, I've seen people walk away or I've seen people stop studying the Bible uh, even though I've done everything I could to love them. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've seen my life's plans and my, my, the expectations I had for what I thought was going to happen fall short and have to be changed. And I, I, since then, I've been knocked down 
you know, hit obstacles, seen the limitations of my own strength. And it's easy to kind of like to look at what I've done and and see and just go uh, look at who I am, look at my sin and how I'm not faithful enough in those instances and think like, I I can't do this. And I think especially, you know, in in the last couple months, it's been it's been a really uh, challenging time in my life. And look, I can look back and see just how faithless I've been. At certain points and, you know, even how, how self-focused I've been at certain points and how, how these times have rocked me and be like, man, like, I can't do this. Look at who I am. Look at what I've done. Look how I've responded to these things, you know, and I, I can be like, man, like, I'm, I can't do this. I'm Stephen, like, who can't even pray right now because he doesn't, he doesn't trust that God actually cares about him and his future, you know, and I can see, like, I'm, I'm, I'm just Stephen, you know, who gave into fear. Uh, and, and, didn't, and didn't go out sharing today. And just, I, I'm Stephen, who, who was so self-focused that he forgot about other people's problems and other people had, you know, real challenges that they were going through in life. And I remember, uh, you know, even before this, like years ago, uh, during one of the most challenging times of my life, being in a really rough spot emotionally, just being like, I mean, I'm Stephen, who hasn't had a real quiet time in weeks. You know, I'm, I'm Stephen, who's been giving into sin so much that I'm not even sure that I'm a real disciple mm-hmm. at this point. And it's so easy to, to, to look at that kind of thing and be like, man, like, I can't do this. And it's easy to say that to myself and just be like, look, I have very good reasons to believe that. I have seen why that that is true and feel very justified in that. But that, that kind of thinking throws out literally the most important and the most crucial part of Christianity. That kind of thinking ignores the most important fact uh, in the history of the world. And Paul talks about it here in verse 13. Verse 13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And it's this part right here where Paul says, forgetting what is behind. This is a very powerful, it's a very interesting idea because one has to ask, what does he mean by this? Because in other parts, other letters that Paul writes, he literally says the opposite. And he says, remember who you were. Uh, you know, remember where you come from. In Ephesians, he, he tells the Gentiles, he's like, remember, you were separated from Christ. You were hopeless. You were without God. You were, you were a toast. You were in trouble. And even for his own life, he's constantly looking back and remembering. He's like, even in this passage, he says, I used to live like my life depended on my legalistic righteousness. And he's very open about his past and the struggles and the failures that he's had. And he says, like, I literally murdered our brothers and sisters. That's how bad I was. That's where my legalistic righteousness got me. And so when Paul says, forgetting what is behind, it's not necessarily like, okay, I'm literally going to throw that out of my mind. But what Paul is saying is that this past is no, no longer has a hold on us. What has happened before does not define us as Christians. And that is actually crazy. That is actually, that is is the most important fact in the history of the universe. Christ's sacrifice changes everything. Because in society, in the world, this is not true. In society, your mistakes define you. In the world, you are defined by what you have done in the past. And we, this is even like written to our criminal justice code, where if you screw up, if, if you get in trouble before the law, 
that is on your record forever. And if you do certain, you know, what we, what we kind of consider abominable sins, abominable sins in our society, like you're on a list and everyone can look up your name and say, okay, this is that kind of person living in my neighborhood. Our mistakes follow us. Everyone in the world has to deal with the mistakes that they've made, how their sin defines them, uh, how they've hurt other people. That's the reality of the world. And it, it follows them. People have to carry that weight of their mistakes around with them wherever they go. But the power of the cross is that we have a God who came down and took for us that shame. Those labels, those mistakes, those things that we think about ourselves and and, and the proof of who we are before God. And he nailed them to a cross and killed them. And so we can move on as new creations. And that is insane. That is blessings upon blessings upon blessings. And I think it is so easy to forget that. And it's easy to forget that every, every day... If we've shared in that redemption, we wake up a new creation. That every day we wake up, if we're on the right side of salvation, blemish free. You know, and we wake up every day. God doesn't see our failures of yesterday. He sees the successes of Jesus. You know, ask yourself, you know, what ways do you let your failures and your sins define you? What ways do you let, uh, even, even just the ways you've given into like mediocrity define you and say like, man, like I can't share my faith today. I didn't share my faith yesterday. This is who I am. This is how, this is the level of faith that I've got. I'm not going to rise above that. Look at the sin that I've committed. Look at the impurity that I've, I've given into. Look at the insecurity I've given into. I'm not going to rise above that. We let those things define us. But the power of the cross is that we have an opportunity to wake up and just leave that all behind. Choose to define ourselves differently. You know, wake up knowing like, okay, I've screwed up, but that does not define me. Yes. Today, I can choose to live differently. Today, I can live different. I can live righteously. I can share my faith today. Today, I can live. I can decide to live without fear. Today, I can stand up for righteousness. Today, I can repent of my impurity. Today, I can have an awesome quiet time, find security in God, and stand out among my coworkers. Today, I can strive to lose my life and to know the suffering and the love of Christ and open myself up to knowing that awesome and powerful love. It's amazing freedom to leave behind us what we've done and to know that God still loves us even though we're not strong enough to live this out. You know, we're not, you know, we, we have the opportunity to make up our minds to strive to rely on him more and more and more and to love him more and to see his love more every day. And I think this, this mindset can, can sometimes translate into, uh, uh, you know, just like, I'm just going to forget everything, you know, I sinned, whatever. But it doesn't mean that we don't acknowledge our sin. You know, it doesn't mean that we, we don't confess or get open or get help. Right. Uh, it actually means we're free to do that more. Yeah. That we can say, okay, I've screwed up. I want this out of my life. This will not define me. I'm going to get open about this. You know why? Because I'm, I'm forgiven before Christ. You know, I, I don't want this in my life. I want to be differently. I will live differently. And I, I think a year ago, I was talking to a, a guy named Audie Monday, who actually studied the Bible with me in high school. Uh, and he was, he was giving me some advice about discipling. And he told me that he, he stopped asking people uh, how they'd screwed up during that week. He stopped asking people like, hey, what, what, what do you need to confess? 
Instead, he said, he started asking people, what have you been forgiven of this week? And he was like, it changed everything. So he was like, people, people answer that question. Guess what? As a discipler, you still get all the information you need. <laughs> you, still, you still know how to help them with their heart. You still know how they've struggled. But what you've done is you've reminded them that this does not define them. You've reminded them that they can move on from this. And just say, like, guess what? God still loves you. You have an opportunity to stand up this week and live differently and to strive for the righteousness of Christ. And he was like, I, it, he was like it's, an, it's insane. Like people were, were leaving his D times. They were just like pumped to change. Because I think sometimes we can go into, into confession and just like be so heavy. They're like, oh my gosh, like I suck. Like I'm the worst. I can't do any of this. But having that in mind, it changes the game. Yeah. And I think it, it, it reveals so much just like, you know, how, how people see grace and uh, you know, even, even if, they're, if they're thinking this way, but just that small change of wording changed things so much. You know, I think looking back to those, those times a year ago, you know, I, or a few years ago, I, I didn't really believe in those times that I could do anything righteous. Um, as I looked at my, my track record and just like the track record of impurity I had and just like not having quiet times and not getting open, I was just like, I am, I am just stuck. This is who I am. I think it was, it was such freedom to realize, I was like, I'm not too far gone. Like, the, the power of the Christ is that I can, I can move on from this. Because yeah. I can just decide not to let this weigh me down and just bring it to cross and, and the, the cross and, and confess it. And it was, it was such a freedom. Just be like, today, like, I'm going to have a quiet time. I can be a new Stephen today. Today, I can, I can confess my sins. Today, I can call a brother and just for, forget, like, all the times that I... Uh, you know, apologize for all the times I didn't pick up the phone, but, but just call and apologize and say, I'm, I'm moving beyond this. I'm going to strive for knowing Christ. And it's crazy. The worst summer of my life actually became the best uh, or one of the best in my life. And it was crazy. I, I hit my rock bottom that summer. But by the end, I, I, had, I had reached a spiritual high that I, I didn't even think was possible. Uh, just in, in my, I was just so in awe of God for the repentance that he had granted me and just the, the change in mind he had granted me and just the peace and security that I had found in him. Even having, uh, you know, not even thought I was a disciple a few months prior to that. It was absolutely insane. You know, I, it wasn't all easy going. It's still not all easy going. And even now I'm still fighting uh, for this mindset. Even now I'm, uh, it, this, this sermon has been a challenge to me to embrace this way of thinking again. But, you know, in those times, I started having quiet times again. I started calling people again. I just started, I just decided to live for God again, one decision at a time. You know, it was just so amazing to realize that these mistakes and failures and, and this faithlessness just didn't, didn't have to define me. And that was life changing. And, and that's, that's the offer that we all have from Christ. You know, we need to constantly see ourselves as new creations. or We're never going to live this out. You know, and I think, you know, ask yourself, do you see yourself every day as a new creation who can live differently, who, even though you've been a disciple for, you know, like 10, 25 years that you, you can still reach that, that goal of, 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 of losing your life for Christ, even though you've seen failures, uh, and I'm, I'm burdened just, you know, by having, you know, five, six years of discipleship under my belt. I'm sure that that continues after that. It's still a struggle. Uh, you know, and amen. If, if today you don't think that you're right with God, if you don't think that you're on that, that right side of salvation, man, like, what are you waiting for? 
like talk to somebody that, to, about that today because if you're not on the right side of salvation, your mistakes do define you. They, 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 they carry with you. They are weighing you down, but they do not have to. And that is the message and the power of the cross. And church, we have a God who loves us enough to come down, live among us, take on himself all of our shame, all of our sin, all those labels that we put on ourselves. And he took them all on uh, and, and died for them uh, so that we wouldn't be held back by them. You know, and that, that privilege was bought by his blood. That privilege was bought by the brokenness of his body and the spilling of his blood. And that, that is true love. And that is so amazing that we have that opportunity. And that, you know, let's, let's, we're going to close out here in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And amen, church. We have the opportunity this week to set our eyes on Jesus, to live differently, to throw off those burdens that so easily hinder us. And I think it's so amazing. Uh, you know, right now we're going to have a time of sharing uh, about uh, uh, Miller, uh, who's going to partake in this, who's going to leave those burdens b- behind him, going to f- be able to forget what is behind and strain towards what it is, is ahead. Uh, and so we're, we're, we're going to close out here, uh, and there's going to be some, uh, some sharing uh, about Miller and his uh, upcoming baptism. Amen. Thank you so much, church. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of time of sharing.